All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, uh, and we're going to be continuing our Bible study this morning on knowing the Holy Spirit. And I believe we're in our 10th or 11th week. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Anyway, we do invite you to our uh, Bible study tonight, uh, 6 o'clock on Effortless Change by Andrew Womack. And then we also have Bible study on, on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock by the same author, Andrew Womack, on the Believer's Authority. So we invite you to both of those. All of our messages, all of our Bible studies that we live stream are archived on our website, lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And then uh, we thank you for our, our partners who partner with us financially at our, on our uh, church's website at lighthousediscipleship.org so we can continue to bring these messages worldwide and uh so uh, anyway god bless you guys anyway so like i said we're i believe we're in our 10th or 11th week here on uh, talking about uh, knowing the holy spirit i want to kick it off again with our our our, our, our um, key verse that we we uh, kicked off this message with and that's found in second uh, corinthians chapter 13 Verse 14 is the very last verse of the second, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And then I've been reading the, uh, the last several weeks from the message translation, in particular to this verse. The amazing grace of the Master Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And like I said every week, you know, we talk a lot of, in this church about knowing Jesus. We talk in, in this church a lot about knowing the Father. And we're talking specifically in this series about knowing the third member of the, uh, the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. And not just knowing Him. We talk, again, we, just even for this message translation, we talk a lot about the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. We talk a lot about the extravagant love of the Father. In this particular series, I'm talking about the extravagant, I'm talking about the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. Now, in doing so, in the last few, several weeks, I've had to deal with some logistics of all of this. I'm talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, talking about tongues. Uh, right now, I'm in the middle of talking, talking from 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 about the, the, the gifts of the Spirit and the unity of the body of Christ. And I'll be giving a lot more attention to that this morning. So we're going to be, uh, pretty much for the remainder of the study this morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12 and hopefully get into 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. But uh, that's where we're going to be. You know, and, and Paul, and uh, talking about the gifts, you know, I, I, and I'm, before I go there, I just want to finish my thought I was talking about. As I wrap this up in the next few weeks, I'm going to be going back to this friendship. Uh, I'm going to spend one more week on prophecy, because I think that needs to be dealt with. Uh, Paul deals with the whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 14 on it, as well as tongues. And so, and there's some issues, I believe, also in our day and age, too, that we need to address. And so I'm going to spend a week on, 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 uh, on prophecy, and I'm, I'm going to steer it towards the end, talking about back to friendship, you know, which has a lot to do with the, the fruit of the Spirit, the, um, this love that should have shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and, uh, we're gonna, and how we are supposed to be witnesses. Not so much witnessing, even though that can be included. We're supposed to be a witness, you know. Uh, 
And, and how do we be a witness? Well, part of that witness, I believe, has a lot to do with the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can use tongues, prophecy, any of these gifts, but if you are not kind, if you are not good and, 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 and patient and loving with people, that's not a good witness. You know, if you, if I, if you, if we, if you work for a retail store and you were a good employee as far as you hustled, you got the job done, but you were rude to everybody and you caused fights and, 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 and were bad customer service, you were rude, you're not a good employee, no matter how efficient you are. Uh, that's not a good witness. You're wearing the, 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 you're wearing the company's uniform and name tag and then you are representing them with that bad attitude, uh, it's not, that's not going to fly too well, okay? So, you know, um, we're, we'll deal with that a little bit more later. Here in Corinthians, and I've, I'm not going to go into all this teaching again, you're going to have to look at our archives, but Paul is dealing with um, really a messed up church. They love God. He commended them in chapter 1 that they use the gifts. But there's also a lot of division there. There's also a lot of strife. There's also a lot of competition, if I think I say. And they got the gifts out of order. You know, they got gifts coming out their ears. You know, and so, um, and at the same point in time, he concludes chapter 14 saying, don't forbid no one speaking in tongues. And so, he's not trying, he's not rebuking the gifts. He's, he's rebuking the, 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 the poor witness of the, the gift carrier, if I can put it that way. I don't know if that makes sense to you. But so he's dealt with the church that, 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 that uh, is immature. They're inexperienced. You know, uh, right now, uh, we are training a brand new puppy. Nothing wrong with the puppy. It has natural instincts. But it's immature right now. It's going to have to learn. And how I many you know toddler training, puppy training, all that good little training takes work. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm both the parent and the child. Okay, and so there's some work involved. And so, let me know we're supposed to grow up into him in all things. There's maturity. And there's growing pains with maturity. There's a learning curve, you know. Uh, but if, when you finish the well, you know, there's, there's going to be a good report. And, and all are going to be blessed. So, we're, like I said, we're going to be in First Corinthians 12 pretty much all day today. And possibly going to uh, verse 13. Paul is spending... To this church that needed some training, that needed some teaching. <clears throat> he spends three chapters. He spends chapter 1 and talking about the gifts, chapter 13 talking about love, and chapter 14 talking about tongues and prophecy amongst some other things. But even though I say that, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul spends three verses, maybe four, talking about the gifts. He spends a whole chapter talking about unity. He spends a whole chapter about uh, love and unity in the church. So really, a lot of times we think he's talking about unity in the context of, of the gifts. No, he's actually talking about gifts in the context of unity. You know, we, we got it backwards. Uh, he, 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 you know, he, he mentions, he, he lists the gifts, and then he doesn't spend any more time on them. He's talking about unity. And, uh, you know, he's talking about love and the body of Christ and how we're to function. Yes, with those gifts, but if we don't have maturity, unity, which includes unity. You know, when we were children, school-age kids, we had to learn to share and to play together. If you didn't, get, didn't play well together, you got timed out. 
You know, you got things taken away from you. Uh, and so, and part of maturity is learning how to share and get along. Same thing goes, and, and that happens in any family, among siblings. It happens same as, as spiritual siblings, as the body of Christ. We need to learn to get along. We have gifts. And we want people to use those gifts. But if you can't get along and edify one another with those gifts, then you are, and, and, I, and don't take this as offense, because I'm not trying to offend you, you are immature. And you need, need to grow up. In the hymn and all things. And as you mature and you use these gifts properly, we have a powerful church. We have a powerful body that can win the world for Christ's sake. We can be a witness to our world. Okay? Otherwise, Jesus said it this way, by your love to one another, the world will know that you're my disciples. He said in a prayer in John 17, Lord, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one, so the world would know that you sent me. You know our most powerful witness to the world is how we get along in the body of Christ, in the church. And how we don't get along, when we don't get along in the family of God, that is a terrible witness. And Paul in Ephesians 4 says we grieve the Holy Spirit when we don't get along. I'm putting that in simple terms, but at the same point in time, that's what he's talking about. So here we go. Again, uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter again, but in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Even though I just said all that I was going to say, and Paul's going to begin talking about the gifts here, even though he already really spends about three verses on the gifts outside, outside of this verse right here. He doesn't want people to be ignorant. But he doesn't spend the whole chapter talking about it. He only, he only lists the gifts. And we're going to, you know, he, he, in other words, he doesn't want them to be uninformed. He doesn't want them to be uneducated and, uh, and ignorant about these gifts. And that's, as a pastor, as a teacher, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uneducated about the gifts. I'm not forbidden gifts. I'm not boycotting the gifts. I'm not, water, there's nothing wrong with the gifts because they're from God. But sometimes there can be a problem with us. <laughs> okay? Um. You know, there's diversity of gifts. And he goes on to say in verse 7, um, that, but uh, there's, he talks about verse 4, 5, and 6, how there's diversity of gifts, diverse, difference of ministries and activities. And verse 7 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. We have these gifts so we can profit one another. In other words, these gifts are not for you. You have gifts that are for us, and I have gifts that are for you. I'm not saying you can't benefit from some of this. If you need a word of knowledge, you can get a word of knowledge. You know, a word of wisdom. But they're ultimately, generally, primarily, they're not for you. They're for the profit of all. And you know how many you know you know what the word all means? All. And you know who's included in all? You and me. So that's why I say you can use the gifts for yourself because you're part, of, you're part of the all equation. And I'm part of the all equation. We are part of the all equation. Nobody is excluded when you say all. Okay? All doesn't mean some. All doesn't mean most. All doesn't mean all who are qualified. Doesn't mean... And, and, and one thing I want to point out to God doesn't give you the gifts because you're mature. He gives you the gifts and asks you to be mature in Him so you know how to use these. Everyone has personalities, characters, talents, 
But you have to learn how to mature those. There's some people they are just they're just natural artists or ball players or, or carpenters or engineers or you know uh, you know just a genius. There's genius kids that are just genius from the genius from the womb. You know our our dog is smart. You know, yeah, but she hasn't learned how to mature. You know. Anyway, I can, I, 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 I'm gonna get off that track, okay? We're not gonna talk dark stories. We're gonna talk Bible, okay? So, uh, and then, uh, so in verse beginning with verse eight, he begins to list these gifts. I'm gonna list them briefly for you again this morning because he lists them briefly. He doesn't go in detail. Uh, you know, and, and so he says, For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gift of healings by the same Spirit. Do you notice one phrase, phrase that keeps being repeated here? The same Spirit. Okay? To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. And last week I briefly listed that there's, there's three sets of threes here. There's three of these gifts are used for seeing, and they have they are the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. There's three gifts that, that say something, and there's prophecy, the gift of tongues, and the which is a public tongue, and I'll spend more time on that a little bit later, and interpretation of tongues. And then there's three gifts that do something. Uh, the working of miracles, the gifts of healing, and the gifts of faith. And I listened to those last week, so that's why I went a little faster this week. Okay, When these gifts work in the love of God... And in harmony with the unified body that is the context of this chapter. These things, the, the, the things that we can accomplish as the body of Christ, as the church of the living God, are incredible. When you try to work, when you try to use these gifts independent of the body of Christ, you know, you're not, you're, you're, the, 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 the accomplishments are not going to be incredible. You know, I, have, I think I have an amazing arm. But my arm will do no good if it's detached from the rest of my body. I can do some things. I'm not that strong compared to some people. And if you did arm wrestling, you may win. But at the same point in time, you know, my arm has no strength that's detached from my body. You know, uh, my brain, my foot, my thumb, you know. What it, all... Not, no, there's no part of your body, no matter how beautiful, how excellent, how talented, how, how muscled it is, it can do nothing if it's detached from the body. It has no value. If it's detached from the body, it's worth nothing. You're going to have to learn how to, the rest of the body is going to have to learn how to get along without that member. And, and we call that a cripple. We call that someone handicapped. And, and the, 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 you know, God gave us different members of our body, but he never designed our body to work independent of each other. And he has never designed the body of Christ to work. Uh, I think as John says, there's no, there's, uh, no one is an island to themselves. Isolation is, is, is wrong. And so, but we're all, the gifts are for the, the profit of all. And when we work in harmony using these gifts, not, you know, we can be in harmony not using these gifts and we might have some effect. But if we use these gifts in harmony as the body of Christ, I believe the benefits, the benefits are going to be awesome. God didn't give us these gifts to be dormant. 
But he also didn't give us these gifts so we can lord it over one another. Or we can work independent of one another. You know, that's why, you know, I believe anyone can operate any of the gifts, but I've never seen anyone operate all the gifts. And even if you could, even if that's so, because some people believe that, I believe that defeats the whole point of this whole chapter when he's talking about unity. God did not design you to be to use all these gifts and you don't need nobody else. That is, I cannot support that thought in Scripture. At the same point in time, we're not dependent on people, we're dependent on God. Yet God has given us a body to work in harmony with. It's a body of Christ. And anytime you say you don't need a member of the body of Christ, you're t in one sense you're telling me there's a part of Christ you don't need. Because we are the body of Christ. It's not our body. <laughs> it's his body. He's the head. And we are the body. But how many know a headless body is a decapitated body? It, once you remove the head, the body is dead. And we can't, we can't function in these gifts. We can't function as a body outside of Christ. And we can't function as a body without the body. <laughs> We need everything attached, the head and all the members, to be a healthy body that is going to be effective in this world. But it's not our body. It's the body of Christ. It's the family of God. Okay? Remember when we, we spent one whole week talking about three baptisms? In the first baptism, when you're born again, you are baptized. You are emerged by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. That's the first baptism. That's the most important baptism. You can you can go to you can go you can go to heaven if you don't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can go to heaven if you don't have to be water baptized. But you cannot go to heaven if you're not baptized into the body of Christ. If you're not born again, okay. But being born again is not just you. Okay, it's not just I'm born again. I go to heaven and, and now I don't need anybody else. No, that's a very selfish, self-centered attitude. <coughs> God didn't save you for you. God saved you so He can use you. He can fill you. He can use you. There's a job to do on this earth. Otherwise, when we're all saved, we might as well die and go to heaven. But there's a job to do. There's people who need salvation. There's people who need to be edified. <coughs> There's people who need a miracle. There's people who need to be healed. There's people who need some a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. There's people who need to be built up in him. Built up in his most holy faith. Pursuing love, keeping themselves in the love of God, and looking at the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are a body in order to fulfill the will of God. And we cannot fulfill the word of God as a church, the way God designed and created this church, and birthed this church at Pentecost without the body. You know, one of my favorite lines or, or phrases in the whole uh, Acts chapter 2 is that they were, they were with one accord. I like that verse. I like that phrase. Before the Holy Spirit came, before Pentecost uh, uh, was fulfilled, they were with one accord and one place. I like that. You know, some of my favorite scriptures are Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, where they were all serving and edifying and, and meeting one another's needs. And there's even a verse in there that says there was no needy among them. I love that. That's powerful. That's awesome. 
when you can say you're in a group of people, there's no needy among them because their needs are being met by the body. That is awesome. Yeah, I believe that's, you know, we talked about a lot about tongues being a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. I believe that is also a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That, took, that takes a little bit of time to implement and, and bring to full fruition. But I believe that's one of the, you know, a, a body that's speaking in tongues but is divided and arguing and strife and dividing and creating multiple denominations is, uh, to me, I don't want anything to do with that. And most of the world doesn't want anything to do with that. It's confusing and it, it's, it's more divided than the world is. The world will go to a bar and, and then not happening and just go to another bar. But, you know, some of our most popular movies, Cheers, Friends, they hang out in bars. Now, I'm not a bar. I don't drink and whatnot. That's not my... <coughs> That's not my desired haven. But you know, and I don't I don't necessarily appreciate the bar, but I do appreciate it, and I don't even those are not my favorite shows. But <coughs> but I do like this I do like the socializing. I do like the friendship. I do like how they are are bonding. Yes, I'm in the wrong context and all this different stuff. But some of that bonding puts the some churches to shame. And it should be the other way around. James says, by your lips, you, by your tongue, you bless God and curse men. Brothers, these things ought not to be so. It, it is wrong to bless God and worship like we just did uh, for 30 minutes here. <coughs> and, then, and then go out and the seven days out of six, or six days a week. And we're, we're, we're arguing, striving, and knocking along with one another. Brothers, these things ought not to be so. We have these gifts. We have this salvation. We have this friendship with the Holy Spirit so we can get along and be used to reach a world that needs Jesus. And we can't reach the world because it's by your love that the world would know that you're my disciples. And you you can say the right thing, but if you don't have love, you don't have the fruit of the Spirit operating in your life, you are not going to be a good witness. You are actually going to be counterproductive. You're going to want people, I don't want anything to do with God because I don't like His church. I don't like his people. I don't like his ambassadors. We are ambassadors. We are a representation of God. And if we can't get along and edify one another, then we are a poor ambassador. And so I'm not saying these things to get on anyone's case, but the context he's talking about, the whole book he's talking about get along, and he, he comes to a climax here in chapter 12. He's talking about the gift in the midst of this, but the context is about getting along with one another. And with that, we have some very powerful gifts. I shared last week how Dwayne shared that if it's ever happened in his church where a member of his church had their, their child kidnapped, he's going to call a prayer meeting, not to for uh, uh, intercessory prayer like some churches do, but someone in that church is going to get a word of knowledge where that child's at because the Holy Spirit knows. I mean, that's just one example. We should be using these gifts. If someone needs a miracle, if someone needs a healing, if someone needs some faith, if someone needs uh, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, you know, uh, somebody in this church is going to be able to encourage you. That should be how the church body functions. And in this culture that we are living in that is changing, that's getting dark and evil, <clears throat> the spirit of Antichrist is huge in our world right now. It's, it's growing. We have a church. Whether we meet in the building or not meet in the building, 
however we meet, however we communicate through social media, whatever, even if we have to send flares in the air, whatever we got to do, we can communicate, we can bless one another. Because we are a spiritual body, not a physical one. And so, uh, so uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty. Uh, okay? Uh, I haven't got very far, but where I want to get to so far. Um, let me just make sure I don't skip over something I want to look at. Okay, so let's go down to verse 12. And I'm not going to read all this for time's sake, but let me read a little bit. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Okay? But for in, the fact, for in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, it is therefore not of the body. Actually, we read verse 15, because I didn't do that. There's a question there. If the foot should say, because I am not of a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the, be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased, and they were all one member, where would the body be? We are a body with many members. We all need you. Yes, I'm a pastor. A pastor is only one role in the universe of the body of Christ. The, you know, we have ministered to a lot of pastors through the years, and almost every pastor I know, not everyone, but a lot of them that I know, they are very lonely. Why? Because they're always giving out, and then they're never receiving in. And they're always, uh, and so, and, and it, they, you know, it's hard for the teacher to look to the students for help. It's hard for the mentor to look to the one, the mentee, I don't know if word mentee is, is now, uh, and look for help. I, I, you know, I, I, I fellowship with a group of pastors. I think every pastor needs to be pastored, too. We all need to be pastored. But my, my, the point I'm trying to get to in this context is that we all need one another. You know, uh, whatever your, your function is in the body of Christ, even if you're an introvert, you are needed. You are wanted. You are valued. You know, um... There's so many, you know, I use the story all the time with Aaron and her. Joshua's fighting the battle, and the armies of Israel were fighting the battle. It was a big battle. It was their first battle after the Red Sea. Every time Moses looked up his hands, they were winning. When his hands got tired, they were losing. You know? So in some ways, we, we give Moses all the credit for raising up his hands so Joshua could fight, fight and win the battle. Joshua was doing all the hard work. Moses was doing this work, but even that was tiring after a while. You try keeping your hands up for a few hours, see how you do, you know? And, but the real heroes of the day, in my opinion, were Aaron and Hur. If Aaron and Hur didn't keep Moses' hands up, Joshua could have won the battle, and all Israel would have lost. Because, you know, when you lose a battle, the whole nation loses. They become, uh, you know, you know that's, how, that's how it works, you know? And so Aaron and Israel would not have survived, in, from one point of view, without Aaron and her. 
Now, Aaron and Hur, they could live at Moses all day, but if Joshua's not fighting the battle, you know, they're, they're doing no purpose. And if, if, if Moses didn't want to participate, Aaron and Hur had no hands left up. You know, so everyone had their part to play. And there was other people doing it. I mean, someone had to watch the kids, the moms, the ladies. You know, everyone had a part to play. And so I know some of them get, don't get mentioned, but, you know, it, it wasn't a nation of just men. You know, uh, and so and it wasn't just a, a nation of adults. There was kids, you know, there was cattle, there was all kinds of stuff. You know, and so my point is we all have a part to play. You know, we look at ministries like Andrew Womack and Lawson Purdue and Dwayne Sheriff, I mentioned him. They could not do half they do without their team, without the body. You know, and so uh, we need the body of Christ. We need one another. And anyone to say, anyone who says that they don't need someone else, I, I have, I, I, that's one of my biggest pet peeves. Because you're telling me that you're the part of Jesus Christ you don't need. Because we are the body of Christ. We are baptized. We are emerged into the family. And that emergement is forever. It's for eternity. You know. And at the same point in time, if you think in your own eyes, you don't need one another. You know. You know. Paul is asking some questions here. You know, that's not true. It's not true. It's not true. You know, I mean, but Jesus said this way, you should know the truth and the truth will set you free. If we get this, it will. It can. It has a way to set us free. And, but indeed, there are many members yet one body. And verse twenty-one. I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head hand to the feet, I have no need of you. No much rather, no much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Okay. You know, there's there's some members of my body I don't realize they're an issue until it starts to hurt. <laughs> until the doctor says. You have so-and-so? I didn't even know I had so-and-so. You know, uh, uh, whatever it was. I'm not talking about some disease or bacteria or germ. You know, there's some parts of I don't know every member of my body. I know the most common ones. I know the ones I can see and the ones I've heard about. And there's some I don't want to see, you know. Um, but it's just I love them. I love what they do. And I want them to keep doing what they do. But I don't want to see them, you know. And they're just... I'm not trying to be crude or, or graphic here, but I'm just, we need every, every member of the body, okay? And once I stub that little pinky toe, I don't pay attention to him most of the, my, most of the day, but once I stub him, some, for some reason, he gets all the attention in the moment, okay? Uh, you know, and, and uh, I'm either on the ground or whatever it might be, and the whole body is, I might have been hungry, but I'm not hungry now. You know, and just be, anyway, my point is we need every member of the body, and we, uh, uh, there's so much I could I could I talk about this. Let's move forward a little bit. Let's just jump down to verse 28. In doing that, let me just make the statement from my notes: We are body in order to go the Lord God. I am not the whole body, and I need you. You are not the whole body, and you need me. We need each other. Let's start at verse 28, though. Verse 28 says. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and varieties of tongues. And then he says in verse 29, he asks multiple questions here. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, and do all interpret? 
but then earnestly desire to get the best gifts, and again, I show you a more excellent way. Let's break this up a little bit. Start with verse 29. <clears throat> are all apostles? You know, are all prophets? Are all teachers? I want to stop there with those first three questions in that verse. You know, we're not all, under, and most of these, these three gifts that he's talking about here are what I call a ministry gifts. And they're pulled out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 10 to 11. And Paul very clearly there says, not all are apostles, not all pastors, teachers, etc. You know, let me just use the pastor role for a moment, because I'm a pastor. You know, when did God call me to be a pastor? Because I, I said in Galatians 1.15, you know, uh, let me just quote there from, for a moment, you know, I believe that God called me and separated me in my mother's womb. Paul said that. Paul said that God called him and separated him in his mother's womb. I believe God had a calling on my life as a pastor in my mother's womb. I was actually prophesied over uh, when I was very young. But, yeah, I, I would, you know, how many know, even though I believe I was, had a calling to be a pastor at a young age, even in my mother's womb, I was not mature enough to be a pastor at day two. I was not mature enough to be a pastor at age two. I was not mature enough to be a pastor at age 12. Even age 22, I still wasn't mature. And, and I could actually go on, probably even longer, I can go longer than that. And at the same point in time, in Romans eleven twenty nine, it says, the gifts of calling to God are without repentance. And there's been times and times along the way, I've messed up. I've made some mistakes. I even got off the pastoral track for a while to, uh, for some reason. So, you know, but yet... Many, my point I'm trying to get to, I'm not trying to tell my story, but many have operated in their gifts and callings in an immature way. Um, you know, there's, there's some people, you know, have been called and gifted in, their, in other ways, in other matters, not just pastoral, not just the fivefold ministry, but there's some uh, people with some callings and giftings uh, that had a very, I believe, in their mother's womb. But, but, my point where I'm trying to get it, we're not gifted because we are mature. It's a gift. It's free. But we need to grow into that gift. Even as a pastor, I need to be trained. I just And my pastor growing up uh, taught me there's a difference between being, being called and being sent. There's a difference. Just because I'm called, God didn't send me yet. How many know Jesus was called to go to the cross at his birth? But it wasn't time yet. He didn't, it wasn't even time for him to start his earthly ministry until he was 33. He was called, but he didn't even start it until 33 and a half years, 33 and a half years later. After baptism, it was after he was baptized, at John's baptism, and was filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. And was, right after that, he, he began to start his ministry. Yes, he had 40 days out of the wilderness, you know, he was tempted by the devil, and they're, they're not, he didn't go out there to be tempted by the devil. He'd go out there to spend some time with God. You know, I think that's a, my, you know, my uncle, my uncle was a pastor. <clears throat> and my, uh, those of you who live elsewhere in the world, I, you might not understand, but Victorville is in the high desert, not, uh, not, not too far from us, in comparison to where some of you are at. And he would, um, she had a house up there in the desert, it was probably about, I don't know, uh, an hour or so away from his house and where he pastored. But he would come up there periodically just to spend some time, especially every, I think he did it every January, if I'm not mistaken. 
And uh, but he, uh, he just to spend some time with God, just to fast and pray, get away from everything, you know, have some basic needs being met. But just he just and he would usually go out for the day, uh, and sleep there at night. Uh, but he it just got into a uh, it was just a way for him to get away and just hear from God and get some vision for the church for the coming year. I like that, you know. And, and this is not a teaching about Jesus being tempted, but. You know, he spent some time uh, with, with God, and in the process, he was, he was tempted. Now I totally forget my, my track, where, where I was even going there. But, you know, just because we have these gifts, our callings as pastors and different things, we, it, I believe we're gifted and called in our mother's womb. I believe God has a destiny for all of us. All of us. And a pastor is not more important than the people. We just have different roles. We have different callings. We have different giftings. But again, it goes, a pastor cannot say to a member of the body, I don't need you. That, that's the same equation Paul just made here in 1 Corinthians 12. The, eye, the hand can't say to the body, it doesn't need it. It's the same, it's the same uh, concept. Okay? But, but just because you are called, just because you have a gift, you need to be mature to use that gift. As a pastor, as a teacher, as an apostle, uh, as a prophet. Um, and then he goes and uh, do all uh, work miracles. Do all have the gifts of healing. I believe we can all operate in a measure of these things. I believe we can all uh, see a miracle performed. We can all, we're all called to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. And so we can all operate in a measure of these things. But not all are gifted in all these things all the time, in one sense. There's, there's some people, it just seems they can lay hands, you know, they just have, they have the gift of healing. They have the gift of the working of miracles. Some people get, can, I believe we all can operate from time to time. We all have the same spirit. We can all operate. We all have the same gospel. At the same point in time, there's some who are gifted in those areas. You know, the ones I see uh, gifted in those areas the most are people like Philip. Philip's the only evangelist that we see in the New Testament. There's others, I'm sure, but he's the only one mentioned. Philip, when he mentioned Samaria, operated very fluently with gifts and miracles. I usually see missionaries and evangelists working very uh, fluently with the gifts of miracles, healings, and, and, and faith. Because, and they will usually draw a crowd. But an evangelist is not a pastor. And they're not, a, they're not necessarily teachers, even though they might teach. Uh, you know, we, we saw this in Costa Rica. We saw this in the Dominican Republic, where the pastors and the, and the missionaries work together. The missionaries or evangelists could draw the whole city. <laughs> but they didn't have to, the, the patience and the gifting to disciple the people once they got saved. The pastors didn't know how to draw a crowd, but they could teach. They could disciple. And when they worked together, the, the, the churches were full, and there was always a new flow of new believers coming in. Because evangelist was drawing the crowd and, and, and catching the sheep, or catching the fish, and then the pastors were cleaning the fish. And, and, and it just worked in harmony. And then there were some other gifts being worked as well. Okay? Um, probably that, that, that's enough on that. And then he goes into, do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now, we just spent two weeks talking about speaking in tongues. 
as one of the manifestations of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But then he asks us to do all speaking tongues. You know, and there's two tongues. There's a tongue that, when Paul, in 1 Corinthians 14, that's why I started there and spent two weeks in there, where we can pray in the Spirit, we can sing in the Spirit, in a pray, what we call a prayer language, our spiritual language. My born-again spirit, and in that context, my born-again spirit is talking, praying, or singing to God. It's when we are using our prayer language, when we are using the 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 the, the, uh, the tongues as the manifestation of being baptized with the Holy Spirit, when we do that in a private setting, we're not talking publicly. We're talking to God, man to God. But there's another tongue, where uh, where called the gift of tongues, where God is talking to us. The spiritual tongue, the gift of tongue, I mean, the, 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 the spiritual language is us talking to God. The gift of tongues is a message from God to the church. And how many of you know, if we have someone in Spanish come to our church and have a message for us, we're going to need an interpreter. You know? And that gift of tongue, the, 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 the prayer language, us praying to God, singing to God in tongues, praying to God in tongues, is a private conversation between you and God. But when God has a message for the church, that's a public tongue. But I don't know about you, but I don't talk God. I, I talk English, and I need someone to interpret that so, so the whole church can be edified. Otherwise, if there's not an interpretation, then that person should be silent and just talk to God. Okay? I know this is a little confusing to some people, but there's two kinds of tongues. And there's some people who flow fluently with the, 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 the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Not everyone flows in that. My wife, Sherry, flows very fluently with the interpretation of tongues. I've also seen this quite frequently with Lawson Purdue, uh, a pastor that we, we highly uh, recommend. He's our pastor. You know... And so when the gift of tongues is being used, and that's been spoken of a couple times here in 1 Corinthians 12, there needs to be interpretation because we need to know what God said. And so it's not going to edify me if I don't know what God said. It's not going to have any benefit. If there's a tongue where I'm talking to God, and my spirit is talking to God, but there's a tongue where God can talk to us. And I, now I believe we can also, even though we're talking to God, in a private time, I believe we can also pray for interpretation. Uh, so, uh, I'm from that. Andrew teaches that in his, in his book, uh, The New You and the Holy Spirit. Uh, towards the end of the book, he does talk about that. We have done that. And God has ministered to us that way. So, I even even in your prayer language, I believe you can privately ask for interpretation. And, and God can interpret that for you. We've done that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? Um... Now, um, let me let me fast forward since we're on this topic, and then uh, and then I'm gonna hopefully get some new territory in a moment. Go with me to First Corinthians 14 for a moment. I still want to talk about this public tongue just for a moment. I'm not quite done with this. Uh, chapter 14, verse 26. And then we're gonna come back uh, to where we were. We're gonna finish the chapter. There's one more verse that I want to highlight before we go to chapter 13. 
But Paul brings some more attention to this in two chapters later in chapter 14 about speaking in tongues publicly. He's not talking about our spiritual language. He's not talking about, in this context, in chapter 14, the beginning of the chapter, chapter 14, he was talking about your spiritual language. Your private tongue between you and God does not need to be done in a public setting. I'm not saying you can't have a private conversation to miss better people. You know, if, if I was in an auditorium with people and, the, and, the, and there wasn't someone on the stage speaking at the time, it would be appropriate for me to have some private conversations with people nearby. But if the, someone's speaking from the pulpit or from the platform, church or not church, it would be rude for me to speak out of turn. Because the, the pastor or the speaker has the floor. Okay? If you're going to have a conversation with in an auditorium of people, then go out in the foyer and have a conversation out there or in the parking lot. You know, uh, but don't don't interrupt somebody. But in a, in a private conversation, but I said more time, I can, you know, e even sometimes even the church service, I sometimes whisper to my wife, you know, do you have some? Do you have a cough drop or do you have a mint? You know, in a, in a, in a very private whisper that usually we will use gestures. You know, but at the same point in time, we're not interrupting everybody. <laughs> Perhaps by chance we might have interrupted a few people who sit nearby. There's a difference there. It's a private conversation. But in a public setting, if we elevate our voice or we're using a microphone to project our voice or whatever and speaking to the people, then this is what he's talking about in verses 26 to 28. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, each of you, from in, uh, chapter 14, verse 26, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, that all things done be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, not at the same time, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Okay? He's not forbidding people to speak in tongues, but he, he basically saying, allow two or three people at the most speak in tongues. You know, in other words, this is not a circus. This is, you know, uh, I don't believe tongues and interpretation is the primary way that God speaks to us. It's a way he can speak to us, but it doesn't, we don't need, if we have a, a hundred people in church, we don't need all a hundred people giving a ton of interpretation. I think God can say everything he needs to say with one or two, at the most three, okay? How many of you know when, when God spoke, when Jesus spoke, he was a man of little words? He doesn't need a hundred people to give the same message. He might give the time to a hundred people, but only a couple people need to give it at the most three. That makes sense, okay? God's not, uh, you know, he's not wishy-washy. Especially, you know, anyway, and then, then he needs, if you did give a public tongue, then you need to pray that you interpret, or someone else needs to interpret. Otherwise, keep quiet. And we've had that. We've had where someone didn't have a tongue, you know, no offense, you know, but we're just going to move forward. But, you know, we, we, but it's a, how many know the church? Maybe not Sunday morning or somewhere where it's more public than whatnot, but maybe a Bible study is a good place to practice. It's a good place to make mistakes. You know, some of our Bible studies, when we, when we were gathering together more frequently, I let people practice. Was it always perfect? No. But how does, how does a puppy learn? How does a child learn if you don't give them a chance to practice? 
And of all places, the church should be the safest place. And he's talking about getting along in, the, in these chapters. And this whole, this whole book is about getting along. And, you know, we shouldn't be fighting with one another. Just, okay, just because someone gave a tongue. They were trying. They thought it was from God. There was no interpretation. You know, there was times where Sherry gave the interpretation because she, she flows frequently in that. And when she gave it, that was exactly the same thing that was on my heart. I actually had interpretation. I just didn't recognize I had interpretation. You know, I don't believe God just gives interpretation to a select few. But sometimes, you know, uh, uh, the other day, uh, we were, uh, Sherry was watching, I think it was last Sunday, uh, but uh, uh, Barbara Perdue, who lost his wife, gave a, a, uh, a tongue, public tongue, on the platform, and her husband interpreted. And Zach, but Sherry, who wasn't even at the church, was just listening to the live stream, she got the interpretation. And it was the same interpretation that Lawson gave, publicly, you know. And so, not just ministering to Sherry. You know, she wasn't in a place where she could communicate all that to, to the body there or even to Lawson and Barbara. But, you know, it just, uh, I, my point is that God, God doesn't have favorites. He has those who might be gifted in an area, you know, they flow fluidly, but he doesn't have favorites, okay? And at the same point in time, just because someone... There was an interpretation. It doesn't always mean there wasn't one. Maybe the person was just too bashful to give it. I've, I've seen a lot of people who were just gun-shy about giving an interpretation when there actually was one. You know, and so at the same point in time, we have no business ridiculing, getting on one another because they stumbled, made a mistake, or it appears that they made a mistake. We love, we have a sign in our house, you might not be able to see on the video, but mercy reigns in this house. And we, I was just ministering to someone this week, you are allowed to make mistakes. Well, no one, we don't want anyone to make mistakes. We don't want to make mistakes. But we, you have, a, you have our permission to make a mistake. And we'll forgive you and we'll move on. We, we are mature enough where we can pull up our big white pants and, and, what, and move on and move forward. And, 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 and what not. In other words, Paul is saying here in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and also in 1 Corinthians 14, I just read all, all the chapter of chapter 14. The first part of chapter 14 talks about the private tongue between you and God. He spends three verses here and the, the latter part of chapter 14 talking about the public tongue. He's, there's a tongue that is private between you and God and then there's a tongue that is public and God, God is speaking to the church. And this must be interpreted so that all can profit, so that all can be edified. Otherwise, there's confusion. And then we defranchise with uninformed. Those who don't know what's going on, they're just, they're, they're disconnected. And they're confused. And it brings confusion. Okay? Uh, there's a proper place for praying in tongues. And there's a proper place for singing in tongues. We've also had pastors who sang over the congregation. We went to a pastor's conference in Colorado a couple of years ago. And the, the pastor from Sri Lanka sang over all these other pastors in tongues. And then he sang in English over the pastor's interpretation, and we were there was not a dry eye in that church. It was it was for the profit of all, and that was beautiful. Okay, if someone gave a if now someone gave a tongue right now while I'm speaking, I know we're on a live stream, so I know. But if we did have a congregation in the church building, uh, in an auditorium, if someone gave a tongue right now while I'm speaking, uh, that would be out of order. Why? Because I'm speaking. I have the floor. 
Now I would, I would, I would not forbid you speaking in tongues, but I would ask you to wait till I'm done talking. Okay, just uh, you know, that's rude to interrupt like that, especially when there's a public speaker. I would give you an opportunity once I'm done talking, but not while I have the floor. Okay, that's it's just not the time or place. But once you gave it publicly, there must be interpretation, or we both messed up. Okay. And, uh, and, we, and we move on if that happens, okay? And then he talks about, he, he, but he gives the same rules for prophecy. Look at verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak. Same rules for prophecy as tongues. And let the, the, others, let the others judge. People have a right to judge your prophecy, okay? But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Okay? Um, anyway, I'm... I'm my point is, Paul gives the same rules for prophecy as tongues. One's not better than another. He does encourage us several times in first uh, in chapter fourteen that he, that prophecy is better than tongues in in the public arena. Why? Because we need to know what you're saying. We need to communicate. Tongues is good. He, he even says in the same chapter, "I pray in tongues more than you all." But that praying in tongues is between him and God. Okay, not in the public arena. Uh, you know, let me just say this. You know, one of the, the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit is temperance, self-control. There's people who think that they just burst out in tongues or burst out in prophecy or burst out with the gifts with no control on it. Well, I couldn't help it. The Holy Spirit just did it. No, the fruit of the Spirit is temperance. There's control. Okay? Uh, if you don't have control, then that, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. There is control. You know, there's a, there's, you know, there's a time to speak and there's a time to have manners in whom we mature. Okay, uh, you have you have control. You can wait. You can speak as the Lord gives you utterance. Okay, we're not forbidding anyone to speak in tongues, anyone to prophesy, uh, but we are. We do want everything to be done decently in order, but there's no confusion. There's no abuse of the gifts. And there's no abusing someone with the gifts. And I'll get into some of that a little bit later. Now let me just say this. Dwayne Sheriff said this and I like it. You know, in some settings, this is not the arena here. And in, in this setting on Sunday morning. But in some settings, if you are in a group, everybody is saved. Everybody is filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're all informed about how this works. And you desire to all speak in tongues and seen in tongues together, then I say go for it. You know, for example, Bible college. When we went to Bible college and we all understood tongues, we all understood it. It wasn't a large gathering. It was a more intimate gathering. We all understood what was going on. We were not un un uninformed. We were all saved. We were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We all knew what was going on. And we just decided to, to pray or seen in tongues together. I say go for it if that's your desire nothing wrong with that. But in the public arena, when we are live stream on our, 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 all three of our services, and when most churches on their Sunday morning services are where it's a public gathering, when anyone can come in, there can always be someone who is uninformed. And that's why Paul gives some of these rules about two or three, because, because uh, they're, they're lost. They don't know what's going on. And it's, it's just inappropriate. Uh, you know, it just, it's, it's confusing. It would be inappropriate. 
Um, but if you're with a mature group in a very intimate setting, I think I don't think there's any problem with that. I don't. I don't. I don't I've been in some of those settings, and it's been beautiful. It's been edified, where we were all edified. And usually it's a very intimate group. Usually it's a very small group. Now, if that's all you ever do, and you never, uh, you know, then I might say that that there's something wrong with that. But there's nothing wrong with that. I don't don't find anything taboo in that. And that's just me. You can disagree with that all you want, but uh, that's just me. Okay? Okay. I only have about 15 minutes left, so I'll see how far I get with this. Go back with me to the last verse for chapter 12, verse 31. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. He ends chapter 12 by saying, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And in the very next chapter, he's talking about love. And then in chapter 14, verse 1, he says, pursue love. And we spent several weeks talking about that pursuit of love, okay? Paul is not shunning the gifts. He just, he spent a whole chapter, chapter 12, giving some direction, giving some correction. And I've said this many times before, that all scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's proper for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Righteousness of the man of God might be fully equipped for every good work. That's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit is the one who has inspired scripture, and he has given it to we for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We all need the moment that we will we refuse to be reproved corrected and trained by scripture we're immature that is rebellion that is wrong that is, wrong. That is uh, that's uh, arrogance okay you will you cannot grow if you're not willing to be reproved and corrected we all need reproving at times that's how we grow okay and it's called growing pains but paul but paul concludes this letter he's not forbidding anyone to speaking and using the gifts but he is emphasizing and he's going to spend a whole chapter in chapter 3 emphasizing walk in love. I already said it that even in chapter 12, the context is unity. He talks about the gifts, but that's not the context. The context is not the gifts, and then he talks about unity. No, the context is talking about unity. At the same point in time, we're not to be ignorant. We're not to forbid the tongue, the gifts at all. Yeah, we are to covet. We are to desire the best gifts. And I believe using the gifts motivated by love for the other members of the body is superior than using the gifts for selfish reasons. I want to say that again. I believe using the gifts motivated by love for the, for the other members of the body is superior to using the gifts for selfish reasons. God gave you these gifts for the profit of all, to edify, to build up one another. After he, and then after he teaches on love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul resumed teaching on the proper use of the gift in the church gas in chapter 14. In other words, what, my, my point I'm trying to make here too is that Paul sandwiched love with talking about the gifts. He talked about the gifts in chapter 12. He talks about the gifts in chapter 14. That's a sandwich. Those are the bread pieces. And in the middle of the sandwich is love. 
He spends two chapters talking about the gifts, one chapter talking about love. But, it's, but he, he, he's not forbidding people to talk and use gifts. Gifts are not the problem. It's the immaturity that's the problem. Okay. The gifts are good. They're from God. They're from the Holy Spirit. But we need, if we don't understand how they're operating love, we will be immature in our operation of the gifts. Okay? Paul sandwiched his teaching on love between his teaching on the gifts. He was stressing the gifts had to operate in love. And he said, and it, and it, look at verse, chapter 13, verse 1. Though, uh, actually, um, excuse me, uh, verse 31 again. Chapter 12, verse 31. Is, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. He's going to show us. You've got to remember, when Paul wrote this book, there was not chapters and verses. This was a letter. He's going to show us. Most, sometimes I love the chapters and verses for referencing purposes. But sometimes I get in the way. And he said, he said I'm going to show you a more excellent way how to use these gifts. What is that more excellent way? Chapter 13. On love. To me, that's profound. Love is how we use the gifts. We're talking about, church, in this, in this series, we're talking about having an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. And God is love. And His love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We are to operate in His gifts. Yes, He spent two chapters sandwiching this it would love how the most excellent way that we are to use these gifts that he spent two chapters talking about is love. He's not, in no way, shape, or form is he shunning the gifts. He spent two chapters talking about it. He doesn't want you to be ignorant about it. He praised them in chapter 1 for having the gifts. He, he in chapter 14 forbid no one from speaking in tongues. But, the, but how he used it. I mean, you know, it's not just what we do, it's how we do it. How we do it is through love. Because if you don't do it through love, you will actually nullify any gift that you use. What do I mean by that? It, I kind of started off talking about this, but, you know, if, if you use a gift, if you do a miracle, but you, you are, lack of a better term, a jerk to everybody, you know, People might like what you did, but they don't want to be with you. They don't want to be like you. Because you're rude. You're, 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 you're mean. Or whatever the case may be. You're a gossip. Or whatever the case may be. You know, but we should do everything with love. I don't know about you, but I would rather be around a loving person than someone who has a lot of gifts. But there... You know, there's been people in my life, I like being around them because they're loving. They're awesome. I just feel good when I'm around them. But there's some people, I mean, they're like sandpaper. I just, I, I, I left away like I need to take a shower. Okay? And I don't care what gifts you have. What you can do if you don't have love. And he, he goes on in chapter 13, verse 1. I only have about nine minutes left. Says, Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, men of angels, 
but I have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I have bestowed all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. He says three profound things here in these three verses here. He says, if I speak in tongues of man and angels without love, I am nothing but noise. I can, I can turn all kinds of noisemakers on <laughs> and get more edified by those than I do uh, someone who's not operating well. And he says, you can have the gift of prophecy, you can understand all mysteries, all knowledge, have faith to move mountains, but without love, you are nothing. He says, you can give all your goods to the poor, you can give your body to be burned at the stake, but without love, you, it profits you nothing. The more excellent way is the gift operating in love versus the flesh. The more excellent way is a gift operating in humility versus pride. The, the, the more excellent way is a gift operating in selflessness versus selfishness. That makes sense? Selfless, being selfless being, versus being selfish. The church in Corinth operated in the supernatural. He talked about this in chapter 1. But they were carnal, they were selfish. There was no love. And that's what Paul is bringing into this equation. We need to operate in love. And Jesus operated in the gifts, but he had compassion on the people. Okay? I believe it's compassion that what drove him to use the gifts. And then in, uh, starting with verse 4, 4 through 7, I'm not going to study all these things, but Paul this is about 16 characteristics of what love is. He defines who love is. Some people don't even know what love is. And I understand that. Some people have not, some, some people have, didn't grow up in a good home. Some people have been abused. Some people are mistreated by their spouse, their friends, and whatnot. We live in a very loveless society, world. I understand some people struggle with love because they've not had any good examples. But the, we're talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to, one of the fruits of the Spirit that we're going to get into is love. And I believe if the Spirit of God is flowing in us and through us to be a witness to a world that we're trying to reach, we will operate in love. I'm just going to read this real quick. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never. Now, I'm not going to have time to teach all of this right now. I'm going to pick it up here next week. Uh, actually, before uh, verses 8 and following, I'm going to spend some time on that next week. So I need more time to develop this. There's some confusion here. 
there's some missed teachings here that people have come concluded to, and I'm gonna unravel those next week. I'm gonna pick it up here next week. But 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 in closing, because I still have five minutes left, I'm gonna take my five minutes. So, uh, but I don't wanna I don't wanna go here. I don't wanna go beyond here here because I don't wanna end on a confusing note without explaining it. But I do wanna say this. But if you notice these 16 characteristics of what love is that we just read between verses 4 and 17, it's very similar with the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kind, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and temperance, which is self-control. I believe those are very hand-in-hand. -hand. We're going to spend some, a little bit of time talking about that a little bit later. But I, that's what that's how I know it's God. Because I can see the fruit of the Spirit. If you have the gift of the Spirit, if you have the gift of the Spirit, and I quote, put that in quotes, but there's no fruit of the Spirit as you're operating those gifts, I question. It might be a gift of God, but you should not, not you operate, you can, op, I believe in some ways you can operate in the gift in the flesh. And, and that's not God. We are supposed to edify, build one another up. And I believe if it's God, these the fruit of it is going to be so evident. It's love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, goodness, self, gentleness, self-control. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about love and joy and peace and rightfully so and patience. I don't hear enough messages about kindness and gentleness, faith. Self-control is another one. You know, temperance. Control you. Bite your tongue. <laughs> Some people just need to learn how to keep their mouth shut. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say something, nothing at all. And James spends a whole, uh, part of a chapter, and uh, he's like, it's an unruly member. One spark. One word. Can set a whole forest on fire. You can ruin someone's day even their life, by something you say. Or you can make their day, turn their life around for good by something you say. You can make their day by saying hello, smiling, versus a frown. We're here, you know, we're going to get, I'm steering all this to go towards a direction, towards the very end, where is. Most people, when they talk about the Holy Spirit, go right to Acts 1.8, and he shall be witnesses. There's a power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be a witness. To me, this is the power. This love, the fruit of the Spirit, operating the gifts in harmony with the body of Christ. That's power. You can change a life. You can change a nation. Some families have been hurting for generations because of strife. But when forgiveness, love, gentleness, kindness, and the family it forgives and loves one another and breaks down those walls of bitterness and strife that have been around for generations, that's powerful. This can work. Love never, ever, now, people can reject your love. God, for God so loved the world, he, he died for the whole world. 
And there have been people that know God is not going to send one person to hell. The only people who are going to go to hell are those who rejected that. We were all, we, in other words, we were all heading to hell. He saved us. But if you don't want to get on the bandwagon, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to be saved, then you can just keep going the direction you were already going. We were all headed to hell. But he saved us. And if you don't want to be saved, then just keep going the direction you want to go. God, it's not God's fault because he, he offered the salvation. It's your fault for rejecting the, 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 the Savior. And, I, and so, and, and some people don't want to be saved because the church or people aren't calling themselves the church are treating them Lack of better term, they're treating them like hell. They're treating them like jerks. They're mean. And who wants to be saved by someone who's going to bite you? But those who are loving, forgiving, merciful, washing one another's feet as he has washed ours. It's his goodness that leads us to repentance. A lot of people want something to do with God, but they don't want anything to do with his bride. That is wrong. That, that, that is not a powerful witness. That is a poor, horrible witness. Because to some people, how the church and how people, Christians have treated them, is their only representation of who God is. And it's a bad witness. It's a bad, it's a misconstrued witness. <clears throat> I don't care how, how many miracles you can do. If you can't love people because... The cross is the greatest miracle of all. And even the disciples prayed, asked for more faith. When, and then, you, know, you, you know the only time the disciples asked for more faith is when Jesus taught on forgiveness. <laughs> Andrew teaches it takes more faith to forgive than it does to raise the dead. It takes faith to raise the dead. It takes a revelation of the cross and what Jesus has forgiven you to be merciful and forgiving to one another. We need to learn how to be kind and gentle. You know gentleness is one of the most powerful forces, the fruit of the Spirit. And then you get that in harmony with the gifts, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a working of miracles, a working of faith, a word from God through a tongue and interpretation, in harmony with the whole body functioning in harmony. That is a powerful force that the church, early church, turned the world upside down. I mean, it was so powerful that when Philip came to Samaria, Simon the sorcerer was like, I want this power. And so we should, we're the head and not the tail. We're above, not beneath. We're the children of God. And we should... Uh, there's so much we have. I want to see the gifts. I want to see miracles. I want to see. I've, I've longed for these things all my life. Because the God I read about in the Word all my life is a God who does the impossible. But one of the most impossible things people have is loving and forgiving one another and getting along with one another. For some people, that is just almost impossible. I can see a mountain move more than I can see them act like an adult and, and, and a child of God. But even if I can do all these things, 
as Paul says, I have nothing. I have accomplished nothing. And actually, some people, they haven't operated like this. They've actually done more harm than good. There's some people not, never want to come to church, never want to do anything to do with God because of how they were treated by a Christian. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. That's not the wisdom of God. That wisdom, Paul, James goes on to say, is earthly, essential, it's demonic. And when there's envy and strife, there's every evil work. And by their envy and their strife, they have actually promoted Satan, the kingdom of darkness, Every evil work and not the kingdom of God. That's peaceful. It's, it's pure. It's willing to be entreated. It's full of mercy without hypocrisy. You know there's some people you can't entreat. <laughs> you can't even get a word in. That's not the wisdom of God. But the, the, the wisdom of God, of God is the fruit of righteousness. And in, in, in Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 11, talks about how the fruit of righteousness is the same fruit from the tree of life. Now, I don't know about you, but the tree of life is the most awesome tree. That was the tree that Adam and Eve were to partake, not the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which has a form of wisdom, but it's not the wisdom of God. That's a whole other teaching. But Lord, we worship you. Or in these last days, maybe we'd be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I pray that we would operate the power of the Holy Spirit because we know you and your nature, your fruit is operating these lives. I pray that we would operate in the gifts, not be ignorant of these gifts, with the foundation being love and the fruit of your spirit love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, etc. And be in harmony with the body of Christ, with the family of God, with your own body that you have redeemed by your blood. Out of every tribe, every nation, every tongue. That we, we would be kings and priests reigning in the earth. Your goodness, your gospel, your truth. To a world being filled because the Spirit of the Lord is upon us and He has anointed us to, to set the captives free. Not with strife, not with envy, but with the fruit of the Spirit, with love, the gifts of the Spirit, and harmony as a body of Christ. We can set people free, not put them in more bondage. Help us, teach us. Indoctrinate us, reprove us, correct us, train us in all righteousness so that we might be thoroughly <coughs> equipped for every good work. There's work to do. Help us, equip us so we can see revival happen in our midst. The people are coming to Jesus like they're flocking to Jesus because your spirit is being a witness to a world that needs Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock as we talk about effortless change, talking about having a relationship with the Word of God. Amen. God bless you guys.